Episode 4, How Agencies Can Deliver Real Value with Dr. Leo Francis. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Welcome to the Relentless Health Podcast. My name is Stacey Richter, and I am your host. Today, I speak with Leo Francis about the role of effective communication in creating value, as well as the changing imperative of healthcare agencies today. Leo has had a storied career as a leader in top-tier global healthcare agencies, and today he heads his own consulting practice, LPF Solutions, LLC. So Leo talks about how it used to be enough to simply add value, but now we need to play a role, we agencies, in forming that value. As the owner of a healthcare marketing agency myself for 20-odd years, this is a conversation that, in Leo's words, has context and relevance for me. So with that, welcome to the Relentless Health Value podcast, Leo. Uh, thank you very much, Stacey. Delighted to be uh, a part of the program. So you have had a storied career, but this is what I'm curious about. Your education is in pharmacology and physiology, and then you went into international clinical development and worked on some novel cardiovascular agents, very impressive stuff. When you were studying or, or in your early career, did you intend to pursue the career path that you wound up pursuing? <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting perspective and um, I, the, the short answer is no. I mean, I um, simply put, really f didn't have a, a particular laid out career when I was um, at school. And, it, you know, from, uh, from, a high, from high school years, I really thought about just following what I was interested in. And at that time, it was uh, biology. Funnily enough, my best topics were English literature, would you believe it, and English language. <laughs> and then um, biology, human biology particularly, was something that really interested me and uh, fascinated me to some degree. And, and that's really what I, through high school, started to follow. And also, as I transitioned to college, um, university, I um, continued to follow that interest in biology without really a, a defined um, destination for a career. So then how did you get from biology to where you are now? Was it the English literature that reared its, its head at some juncture? Well, I think the literature and language piece gave me an affinity for, should we say, using words. Um, you know, articulating and language was, was something that interested me as well. But no, it, what occurred was that while I was at university studying, I did a, a type of um, undergraduate degree that allowed for you to spend a year with practical experience in an industry of, of choice, right? So what the university would do would try and place you for a year within some sort of commercial environment with a particular company or companies, and you'd spend roughly a year there before coming back and doing your final year of um, studies. And my year was spent in a... What, I, what you'd call now a CRO, so a clinical research organization focusing on phase one, primarily phase one studies, and also the analysis of the, the blood samples from those studies. 
So I got the analytical part and the clinical development part um, during that year. And that was also within a university environment. It was a, um, a commercial, if you want to call it, bio-incubator that the university had created that was helping to fund some of their lost governmental funding um, by doing phase one studies. And um, that's where I got my first kind of insights into clinical development and development of medicines. It was quite alien to me at that point. So that's really where I got, I got my first taste of, if you want to call, the pharmaceutical industry. Well, one thing that I have really both noticed as well as admired about what you're able to do, Leo, is to really communicate the clinical details in a way that is both interesting and also very understandable. So at some point, you must have realized that that is um, something that you're really good at. I appreciate the, the sentiment, Stacey. I mean, the the power of language is something that has always has fascinated me. And, you know, in the way that we articulate can have real impact in how you intend to say something and how a recipient receives it and they're often not the same right and so finding ways in which to demystify in the communication science or clinical or medical the way it becomes compelling is and I have a phrase I use which is really about placing science in context to create meaning and relevance and from that you derive value because if it's not meaningful and relevant to the end the end user the end recipient of your communication it will be merely a conveying information which will be lost because that, it has no context for them that makes a, a ton of sense and it's certainly not easy to to do so how did you wind up transitioning from the the clinical setting um, and being very clinically oriented into the world of agencies <laughs> That was quite uh, straightforward in one way and ironic in another. So the, the straightforward piece was, you know, as I start, took my first position after finishing my PhD, I was in clinical development. So I joined as a clinical a pharmaceutical company, as a clinical research associate, which was a biotech company. And the beauty of that was that you were, you were put into an environment where you were going to learn very quickly, but you were able to apply yourselves to many different tasks. And that was writing the protocols, working with the physicians, the thought leaders, the patients, creating the studies, initiating those studies, collecting and monitoring the data, all of the components of how you take a, a molecule, which is a product, and then go through the clinical investigation. And I spent probably a core first five years in a very exciting environment. And once having submitted the NDA, which also being a part of writing that NDA, I started to get involved in product support as the marketing team was being created to take the product to market and start to sell it in the marketplace. I started to help the, the sales representatives and the product managers because I had a deep understanding of the data because I'd been a key and critical component of creating that data. And I thought the commercial side was incredibly interesting. And not long after that excitement around the product development, product, um, if you want to call it product commercialization, I was uh, headhunted into a pharmaceutical medical communications agency. And that was really the transition. What was ironic about it was moving from being a clinical development person 
to now being a business development person in an agency. Those two are just, <laughs> would, one would seem, unrelated, <laughs> apart from the content. Well, it must have been very a distinct advantage to really understand very well uh, the clinical behind it and then be able to translate that into the language of value, as you had just suggested. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, I think, um, at the beginning of the, my career, that value of being able to, un to understand not on the clinical component and the scientific sort of concepts that were behind it. Um, at the time, I probably underestimated the value of that because at that time I was, you know, having that understanding, being able to read the manuscripts and um, maybe write or edit and really start to be able to tell the story. And that was really, from, the, from a standpoint, even within clinical development, you were really telling a story in a very structured and very appropriate way. But as you got much more into the commercial environment, the ability to create and tell that story and deliver a, a proposition or a, a value proposition that was compelling and meaningful to the audiences you were trying to engage with, it became very clear to me that that science component, clinical component, was incredibly valuable. And then as I started to gain a much deeper appreciation and expertise in the commercial side of the business, those two together became a, an incredibly powerful and differentiating proposition. Well, obviously you were pretty good at that because uh, you rose to the very top of the agency world there. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got from being headhunted into the agency world to where you are today? Well, I think um, in sort of, you know, summary terms, I um, moved from being, you know, in the business development um, really around what was then publication planning and how we were working with pharmaceutical companies, medical and marketing teams at that time to help them understand publication planning and the value that that could create in terms of making not only their data available, but also equipping stakeholders, physicians and healthcare professionals with the information they required to support making better clinical decisions. And in doing that, I started to spend more time working with uh, other, when I moved to other agencies, working with pharmaceutical companies at the global level. And I did a great deal of work with um, some pretty significant pharmaceutical companies at the global level, working on five or six different therapeutic areas and helping, on a global standpoint, launch products into the market and then supporting their local markets, and as many as 50 local markets in their commercial development of their products. So that, that understanding then of the science and the ability to know how to create marketing campaigns that were compelling and engaging to the healthcare professional, which ultimately would help them make better decisions in how they would treat their patients and get better outcomes for their patients. And then on the flip side, helping pharmaceutical companies, of course, be successful as we would like to be ourselves as agencies. So that then I just took on increasing responsibilities and those that nexus of science and commerce through increasing responsibilities moved me up through the agency from being you know, an account manager through promotions to become commercial director and then from commercial director I took over my first agency, uh, became managing director in, in my 30s and, um, and just continued to proceed from there. Um, I'd spent a lot of time in the US and eventually, not surprisingly, 
relocated to the US and ultimately joined Publicis where I um, you know, was running the global medcoms across the globe. And that's actually where I met Leo. But now you have struck out on your own and are doing some consulting. Do you want yep. to talk about what you're, what you're up to now? Yeah, so the, the consulting that I'm doing really still is deeply vested in the, that, that nexus of science and commerce, but founded primarily on the ability to solve problems for our clients. So thinking about pharmaceutical companies, the communication and marketing campaigns that they need to deploy, and engagement that they need to create with stakeholders to really deliver against that proposition of how do you improve, how do you create value and how do you improve not just outcomes, but the patient's experience uh, in their health journey. And so much of my conversations with clients is about those, how we create solutions, um, less about the discipline of whether you're in advertising or you're in medical communications or you're in publications. It's really about trying to understand the challenge that a client is facing around a particular issue and how I can help them solve that. And some of that is really about expertise that I bring to them or ways in which I can orchestrate and aggregate expertise to deliver solutions for them. So it's really about solving problems and less about the discipline of a particular um, channel. So, you know, that in and of itself is incredibly exciting because it gives a great diversity to the nature of the things that I face with clients. So, obviously, the U.S. healthcare system is going through some monumental changes at the current time. How has that affected what you need to help companies with? So, there are, there are a few key areas. So, I'll try and touch on some of those, Stacey, that are really probably very, I mean, many that are topical but are newsworthy. But so one of the critical components that we're seeing is, of course, across the U.S. healthcare landscape, more and more providers are aggregating in geographical regions to be able to build and bring not only efficiencies to how they're deploying their healthcare, but how they can be um, much more effective in in taking a patient through their journey and um, resolving you know, any of their health issues or supporting them in their health journeys. What that means is the nature of the customers and the emphasis that the pharmaceutical companies or clients are finding that they need to work with or stakeholders they need to work with is changing. No longer is it only about the prescribing physician, which has been, there's been a very myopic focus on that. Now it's really about who are the aggregate group of uh, stakeholders that we need to engage with, build a relationship with, and also now solve and help them in their problem, which is, or their challenge, which is how do we deliver the best healthcare and best outcome in the most cost-effective way? So that's a, a pretty critical component. So if we're talking about pharmaceutical manufacturers right now, can they collaborate with other stakeholders and, and sort of what does it take to for them to collaborate? Collaboration is, is, is an incredibly tough thing to do. Tough because, on one hand tough, because there is a, a common view which is about the patient at the core. The common view is we're, we're here to serve the patient, but 
pharmaceutical companies and stakeholders come at it from a very different perspective and often even though the objective may be at the center the same the way in which they approach it of course is different and that can lead to some some challenges i think defining very clearly the protocol of of or the the way in which you're going to engage with your stakeholders is is a critical piece so for pharmaceutical companies there's authenticity is a critical piece of how you're able to gain a shared belief from the stakeholders that you have their interests at your heart and they have your interests at your heart. Because in the absence of those things, often regulation gets created and regulation all too commonly comes from trying to manage the nature of an interaction because heretofore it was not the type of interaction that that either party wanted and that's often not a great way to to start to shape a collaboration so collaboration really at the core is about authenticity and shared values and being able to identify those really clearly allow for a better outcome so you know a pharmaceutical company obviously they have a responsibility to their shareholders to to sell product right. How can they authentically then communicate something or a common value that would be the basis for this collaboration? So I would almost challenge that and say they are in the the business of taking care of their shareholders. Shareholders are also patients, right? So they do coincide. The other part to that is I would argue pharmaceutical companies are not only in the business of selling product. They're in the service business. And that service business is about, when you ask about the service business, who do you serve? And that's a really important question. So if you see the product, the brand, as being a tool through which you're able to deliver an important component of a better health experience for a patient, with that at the core, that is something which combined um, stakeholders and pharmaceutical companies in a way which has a commonality that they can create a structure around which they can work in a very authentic and transparent way. Control these days is about transparency. It's not about this is my piece of, this is my product or this is my doctor. It's more about, it's less about that, it's about having transparency in the interaction. So I think that's a key piece. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to contend that pharmaceutical companies are just in the business of selling product. They're much deeper than that. They're in the business of creating health services and serving fundamentally the patient, which is what the physicians are intending to do, which is what the healthcare professional has at their core. Do you feel that the pharma companies that you worked with, have they embraced that idea? Or do you think that that is a, a goal that they are still on the path to change their mindset? Yeah, I, I think it's it's varied. I mean, there are. I think you're seeing on the one hand, you know, the sales representative and how that engagement with physicians is changing significantly and has changed and is currently continuing to change. Where that kind of interface has become much has having is having to become much more service oriented. And I think you're seeing that in some companies, as you would imagine, are further ahead and others are moving through that. But I, I think it's still currently a work in progress. I also think that on the healthcare professional side, there are those who value that interaction with the pharmaceutical company. And I think it's a very, very dangerous place to go if regulation 
forces greater and greater separation of the healthcare professional and stakeholders in patient health and pharmaceutical companies. I think the nexus of those two, when they work exceedingly well, the patient gains the greatest amount of value and the greatest amount of benefit. So to your point, it's how do you find the way in which to work best? I don't think it's constructive for those to be disentangled. I think we have to be more clear and transparent about the nature of the engagement, but I think it's fundamental to getting the best out of the best type of healthcare. There's obviously some barriers to collaboration. One of them is is regulation or the potential for regulation. Another one is not being authentic or having limited authenticity or transparency uh, relative to to goals. Have you seen uh, any cases where those barriers have limited collaboration? Yeah, I mean, I think when you at a very at a very basic level, you think about the the development of any new product requires you know a great collaboration between, let's say, a pharmaceutical company and um, thought leaders, whether it be from the clinical development standpoint, taking it through the clinical development process, or whether it's in the communication side, where making sure that the right type of information and confidence in that information is being made available to the correct audiences for them to consider it in their decision-making process. Regulation has been um, positively but also negatively impacting the nature of those engagements. So as we already know, there are certain you know, institutions that preclude their um, members from working with pharmaceutical companies in certain ways. And Ultimately, I feel that that can have a negative impact on the quality, ultimately the quality of you know, healthcare that can be delivered. So I think it behooves us all to continue to challenge ourselves in, and also the regulations in how best on how we make that interaction the best it can be. And transparency and more and more transparency to some degree is going to be an important part of that. So the one thing that I, I've noticed is uh, unwillingness to to compromise. That we work with different stakeholders who have an ambition. Uh, you know, they have a goal, and it might be to improve patient outcomes. But that, but it's overlaid with some obviously self interested goals. Right. However, the best way to succeed might be to collaborate. But in order to collaborate each stakeholder does need to compromise and to strive for sort of a win-win solution that's not 100% of what they want. How do you see the same um, phenomenon? And do you think that the that stakeholders are starting to realize that that compromise might be necessary, that they actually can get more by striving to get less? Compromise can be construed as being each has to give something up to get to the better end objective. And I think identifying clearly what that objective is and being committed to that makes those other decisions easier. And I wouldn't even say that it's necessarily compromise. It's more about if you are committed to the objective and being authentic in that interaction means that you're going to freely recognize that the decisions required will mean that you need to invest or vest yourself in it or your organization 
And if that's considered compromise, it's a necessary part of achieving the objective. So that's one. And then the other thing I would say, which is, a, is also a key part, is to view the interactions as being longitudinal and not just one point in time, which means you've got to get everything at that one point in time. And if you don't, actually no real progress is made. So interactions are much more longitudinal and not one and are not one one and done deals. And I think when you view it as a one and done deal, there's going to be, to use your words, a less an environment for compromise or progress if you think about this really as the beginning of a journey. There's an author named Gary Vanderchuk who wrote a book called The Thank You Economy. And then there's another author, Ian Altman, who wrote about same size side selling. And, and really both of what they are saying is that you have to give to get. And I and I, you know, Stacey, I would I would I agree with that. I definitely for me, that is saying being committed to the objective, staying true to that objective, it then defines decisions that you're going to make and almost you don't have to think of it as compromise because if you're committed to the objective these are the things that you're going to be required to do and if the commitment to the objective is there the rest should follow and if it doesn't the question then becomes are you really committed to this objective because if you're not <laughs> you're going to struggle with the next pieces and that comes back to the piece I was talking about authenticity are you talking about commitment or are you really vested in that commitment? So if you were a leader of a, of a pharmaceutical organization right now and you have realized this, you know, you have realized that we've got to be authentic. We really have to be committed to patient outcomes, not just in our words and we make some great speeches, but then we all go back to looking at our weekly sales numbers. What would what would you be doing as a sales leader? How do you make this goal trickle down throughout your, your organization so that the organization is authentically committed to, to achieving these goals? Well, I mean, I think as far as um, if you think about um, agencies and ourselves, I think... Um, you know, we have some big, uh, very big networks that are in place um, that, you know, serve, you know, a billion dollar organizations that serve, you know, many pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, in, in those kinds of environments, you see that they have great expertise, but yet each agency is incentivized on its own performance. You know, one potential area would be to say, you know what, if let's say we have a group of 10 agencies, why would those 10 agencies not be considered the the group be considered one organization, one P&L, and we're, we're incentivized on group performance, right? And in that way, the focus is about how we deliver our expertise and make the best outcome for our clients rather than our own self-interest. So there are certain things that can be done, but those are those that takes real you know, courage um, from a leader to, to do that and then a group of, of individuals who share that same commitment but an organization is fundamentally driven by its leadership and that leadership fundamentally has to be on the same page um, and that's an incredibly challenging thing to do but there are those out there who absolutely are achieving that today. So when you say there are those um, that are achieving it do you mean in the pharma world or in the agency or both? I, I would say in both. I would say in both. There are some there are some examples of that for sure. Um, but as ever, both from the farmer side and the agency side, 
it's work in progress, right? <laughs> it's one of those things that needs um, um, driving a, a sailing a boat. You always have to be making sure you're keeping the you're keeping on track to your course, and that is um, that's an everyday that's an everyday undertaking. It's not set it and leave it, and then it will carry along that path because our environment is changing, and the forces that we're working with and the regulations, etc., they're changing. And the nature of how we continue to deliver a better and better value is a continual work in progress. So it, it's, it's really a, if you think about an agency or a pharmaceutical company, it's really a life discipline as opposed to merely an annual requirement. So what do you think the responsibility is of the an agency to its clientele right now? You know, what do you think that obviously there's an agency model that's been established and has been running for decades Right. How has what do you think needs to change about that that model in order to succeed in the current environment and best serve customers? Mm. So I think there is um, there's a critical component which has become more and more evident. There the segmentation between disciplines when you think about let's say let's kind of use two as an example say advertising and medical education or medical communications and PR. No more now than any, than ever. The, the some of those lines are becoming increasingly ambiguous and gray. And what that means is that as we solve problems for clients, we've got to be focused on those solutions as opposed to selling the client a, a new campaign, a new initiative, but thinking about at the core, what is the problem we're solving? What is the challenge that we're trying to solve for this client for them to be successful? So what does that mean in, 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 in an aggregate world? It means organizational agility. It means intellectual agility. It means asset agility. It means taking your assets, putting them together in a way and orchestrating them in a way which delivers value to the client at that point, critically being agile for our clients. So instead of having you know 10 people working on a piece of business over the next whole year because you're trying to deal with a staffing plan. It's much more about how do you aggregate those assets in a way that solves this issue for the client. And I believe once you're solving problems for the client, they will find and comfortably pay for the value that they're seeing because you're solving. When you're not solving and you're merely just doing the clients begin to view that with less value. So if you look at it from a client side now, the clients are going to be saying, okay, so we're spending more and more money and necessarily getting less and less value. So, and that then puts the relationship in an incredibly stressed place, shall we say. And that's on one side. And then I, I want to just allude to one other area, which is at the moment we're seeing that from the medical side and the regulation side that there are ways in which the medical departments of, of pharmaceutical companies are being challenged by the nature of increasing regulation as on the promotional side. And there are different ways in which agencies can help our clients um, unlock the value that they have in those departments in a different way because the marketplace is changing and, may, and challenging us to be different. So in your current consulting practice, Leo, what what questions are, I know you work with, with some agencies and also some pharmaceutical manufacturers, what, what questions are, are burning for them right now? You know, what are you getting asked? 
That's particularly interesting. I mean, um, the challenges that, that they're facing, uh, I'll give you maybe two of the most recent ones that I'm currently dealing with. So one is um, challenge that some of the f- smaller pharmaceutical companies are faced with, which are on the commercial side of their business, they're wanting to have, you know, greater interactions and from a thought leadership standpoint, really from an, in an advisory capacity with, with, uh, with thought leaders or just healthcare professionals. And the regulation, the increasing regulation is making it very, very difficult for them to do so. And that is because of the increasing regulation. And I don't just mean from the Sunshine Act and, and, and the requirement for recording and sharing of the nature of those financial interactions, but I feel that they are the very people that they need to be having conversations with to help them is incredibly challenging. So that, that's, an, that's an important part and wondering often how com- the commercial side of the business and the medical side of the business are able to have those appropriate interactions. Some, you could argue that that is, it's, it's almost a false uh, separation because if you're thinking about a particular product or brand, the nature of the interactions you have with the thought leaders, you're still trying to access the information. So they're trying to find ways in which to do that whether it's through the commercial lens or whether it's through the medical lens. But that in and of itself seems like over-administrative requirement for what is a very simple dialogue, transparent and simple dialogue with um, thought leaders. So that's an incredibly challenging place for them this, at this juncture today. Thought leadership interactions within a commercial environment. GSK made the decision not to pay physicians or have physicians on its payroll any longer. Is this all related? And do you think that that's going to exacerbate that false separation that you were talking about? Yeah, I I certainly think that it will have um, a potential negative impact on the nature of those interactions. It's not to say that I think we have to find the way in which those interactions, even within the regulated environment, that can, can occur. The vast majority of those interactions are legitimate, meaningful, and valued on both sides. But I think because of historical, or should we say, uh, inappropriate practices, the regulation now has, has, I would argue, gone probably a step too far. And so I think, you know, the, the normal pendulum ultimately will bring these, these interactions and this regulation fundamentally, and that's my belief, back to a more appropriate place. But I, I do think it raises a key question, which is, should healthcare professionals be paid for their interactions with, with pharmaceutical companies? I actually don't think that's the right question. The real question for me is, what is the cost of not having those interactions? I think the price is far greater by not having those interactions in terms of how you ultimately help the patient. Wow, that's that's a really interesting concept and probably one that everyone needs to give some thought to. So, Leo, you every time I speak with you, you have some insight or or just very interesting perspective on a new, you know, something that's very 
contemporaneous in the marketplace <laughs> today. How, how do you stay on top of all of this information? I mean, this is a vast space with all kinds of moving parts and you always seem to have a, a grasp on it. What's, what's your strategy? <laughs> strategy, just being downright nosy probably. No, um, I think um, I what I do spend a, a, a significant part of my time doing is really trying to um, stay as current as possible with um, um, not just the legislation but also you know developments in our in our marketplace and I think being invited to be to participate in, in in thought leadership forums is an important part of that similarly though I think a critical piece for me is the proximity um, and I call it almost an intimacy with clients and with healthcare professionals is is a major part of staying very uh, current. So as I have a very much a, 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 a focus on solutions for, for, for clients and for healthcare professionals, think of it this way. My whole role and focus is about how we create, you know, we talk about putting science in context to create meaning and relevance and ultimately value. Another component of that is ultimately our jobs when people talk about behavior change is about creating the confidence and the competence instilling that in the very audiences we engage with. Because when you do that in a compelling way, it creates action. And so that's a distillation of when we talk about behavior change. So being creating confidence and the competence to act. So that mantra and then staying very close to clients and to the healthcare professionals as their needs begin to emerge, often they emerge as challenges. And, and from that, you start to think about the creation of new services and therefore, and how that impacts regulation, impacts how you may solve a challenge in a different way. So for me, the, 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 most, the greatest way for, for staying current and relevant is about being close to the healthcare professional, patient, and fundamentally, my clients. So, Leo, as the marketplace continues to to change, what are some themes that you feel that agencies should really begin to focus on? So, I mean, as I, as we, as the market continues to evolve, and it will do, and as regulation changes, as you know, the the dynamics between pharmaceutical companies in within their own. Uh, departments, but also how they engage externally. As agencies, our focus has really got to be much more on, on creating value. We've always and historically talked about adding value. And I think creating value is, is, is going to be um, a huge competitive advantage for us. For me, that really talks to, from the certainly in a medcom standpoint and beyond, about our ability to create clinical value. And that often can be considered as, you know, how you, you know, unlock the power of evidence to create extraordinary or, or outcomes in health and fundamentally for the patient. I think those are critical areas for us and our ability to be able to show value, and measure and analyze that value is going to be fundamentally important to how we deliver greater value both for patients and for our clients. And, and, and maybe one final part, we all talk about insights, 
but insights allow us to really understand the nature of the person. And when you do that, you very much understand the customer and therefore can apply an ability to drive their confidence and ultimately the competence for them to act in whatever fashion is appropriate to their context. So cl creating clinical value, I think, is fundamental for our future value. And insights are necessary in order to understand what value to, to create. Absolutely. So, Leah, what's the next big thing on your horizon? What do the next couple of years look like for you? I think, um, you know, the consulting piece has been, has been very, it's very interesting. It's, it's keeping me very, you know, very agile, current and relevant and ultimately meaningful to my clients. And then, you know, that's, that's particularly exciting. I think being, as I look out, maybe one or two years, maybe two years, you know, being in, in a place where I'm able to continue to deliver or attempt to certainly deliver on that proposition of, of clinical value and the creation of that value, and then being able to bring and continue to orchestrate other areas of expertise, not only to my own armamentarium, but how that plays out with clients, I think is, is um, where my future is going to be. And I'm excited with the, the clients I'm working with, both on the agency side and on the client side, but, uh, you know, who knows what the future may hold as it relates to um, bigger, bigger organizations, right? Absolutely. So thank you so much for talking with me today, Leo. As usual, it has been a very interesting conversation that has left me with much to think about. <laughs> well, no, Stacey, this has been a real delight. And it's, it's always been a, a great conversation that we, we have. And um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have uh, been a part of program. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Relentless Health Value podcast today. This podcast is sponsored by Franklin Healthcom. Once again, my name is Stacy Richter, your host. If you liked what you heard today, I would really appreciate it if you would go over to iTunes and rank and review the podcast. Or if you have any other feedback, please go to RelentlessHealthValue.com. All the notes for the show, links to Leo, uh, are also on the website relentlesshealthvalue.com. See you next week.